Welcome to the show for sinners and sufferers. My name is Cody. We are currently in a series through 1 Timothy, and today we're going to talk about what the Bible says regarding slavery and the implications for how we are to live as Christians and glorify God in the face of injustice, as well as how the church is ultimately to impact society. And we're going to be basing this conversation out of 1 Timothy chapter 6 verses 1 and 2, which says this, Let all who are under a yoke as slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and our teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better, since these who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved." As we've been studying through 1 Timothy, if you've been following along, we've seen in the last chapter leading up to these verses, Paul's instruction on a variety of relationships and the ways that we as believers are to give respect and show honor in these relationships. He, he started out establishing how the church is the household of God, and we should honor the members of this household as we do our own family. And he goes on to give specific instruction for how we honor widows within the household and then how we honor our pastors and teachers within the church. And now Paul addresses those in the church who are slaves, those who are in the position of being under an oppressive, unjust authority. And his instruction for these believers in that relationship, in that situation under a yoke of slavery is that they treat their slave masters as if they are worthy of honor. And immediately this completely challenges our modern Western ideals. This is so contrary to how we feel that Paul should speak about slavery. Because Paul doesn't say, slaves, rise up against your masters. He isn't seeking to incite a revolution to violently overthrow injustice. And by our, our Western ideals, that is the only reasonable course of action. Anything short of revolution is effectively an endorsement of evil in our mind. In part, this ideology is a symptom of the history of America. The nation was built on revolution. But even as a, a Canadian today, I see the tendency in the face of injustice to assume the only answer is power, to rise up and take to the streets, to occupy the capital, to grasp for political power that we can flex on legislature for the sake of our just cause. But Paul here speaks directly against that behavior. And judging by the frequency with which he gives this similar instruction in both Ephesians and in Titus, as well, Peter gives a similar instruction in First Peter, it would seem that this was something that needed to be said. It's likely new believers who were in slavery were leaning toward that same kind of thinking, having this newfound dignity of their identity in Christ, learning that there is, is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free in the kingdom of God. For many, this would have been seen as, as license to deny their masters, to demand that they be treated as they deserved and become disrespectful towards their oppressors. But Paul shuts that down because the point of the Christian life is not 
revolution. It's transformation. It isn't that Paul saw no issue with slavery. His instruction here is not an endorsement, as some critics have claimed. To be told to submit to a corrupt authority is not an endorsement of the authority, but this is how God works. While Israel was in exile in Babylon, they were commanded to live peaceably and seek the good of the city, all while God planned to destroy Babylon for their sin. So clearly not an endorsement of Babylon. Yet if we read Daniel, it is through his gentle faithfulness and submission to these unjust authorities that time and again God is seen to be great and glorious even in Babylon. Pagan kings are brought to sing his praises. It's possible even that Nebuchadnezzar might have been saved when we read the way he submitted and glorified God before his death. Likewise, in the early days of the church, Peter instructs believers to to submit to governing authorities while they were yet being persecuted by them. And, And out of this, we saw the massive growth and flourishing of the church. Paul's instructions to be respectful is not an endorsement of the slave master or their actions. In fact, slavery is clearly incompatible with a Christian worldview. Besides the the implications of every person being made in the image of God and how that doesn't allow for any person to be viewed as property, as less than human, less worthy of dignity, God says plainly in Exodus 21.16 that both kidnapping and enslaving are punishable by death. And Paul, being a, a Pharisee who was well-trained in the law, like, would have known that when he wrote earlier in the same letter to Timothy, that enslavers are among those who are ungodly, unholy, and profane. In his letter to the Corinthians, Paul also tells slaves to take any opportunity for freedom if it is given, and also to not willingly enter into slavery, as would have been the habit for some of the poorest people as just a means to secure food and shelter. But he writes, You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. And this might seem a little confusing when it comes to Christian masters. Like, why doesn't Paul just tell them to release their slaves? But if we read what he does tell Christian masters, in Ephesians 5, he forbids the violent and harsh treatment of slaves to coerce them into any kind of harsh labor. Then that's behavior that would have been completely normal. That's how people treat slaves. And Paul's saying, no, that's not how you treat your slaves. Slaves to you are not property, they're people. And to Philemon, Paul tells him to regard Onesimus, his slave, not as a slave, but as a brother, a member of the household of God, his own family. And this kind of undermines the entire point of slavery. Paul's instruction to, to slave masters turns an abusive, oppressive relationship into one that guards and protects some of the poorest and most vulnerable in society. Instead of abusing them, it invites them to the table to join the family and gives them far more dignity and respect than they would have had in any other slave situation or even if they're left in their poverty out on the street. If we cannot dismantle sinful cultural institutions, perhaps we can redeem them. But 
While critics of Christianity like to point fingers at Christians of the Bible as, as advocating for slavery, in reality, slavery in the Roman Empire was not seen as a problem by anyone but Christians. At, at points, as much as one-third of all people in the empire were slaves. This was a, a base cultural institution. If Christians tried to revolt against this cultural institution, the world would have been unmoved and merely had even more cause to hate Christians besides their fringe gospel preaching. This is why Paul was telling Christian slaves, do not give your masters reason to despise God or our teachings because of your behavior. He's teaching us how to best live as Christians under the worst circumstances to be stand out as people of peace and self-sacrifice who suffer injustice for the sake of others. Because making God known, having others see his greatness, that is our first priority. That is the primary work of the church. And it is through meekness, self-sacrifice, and contentment that our God is seen to be great and his gospel true. Because that is the gospel message lived out. Jesus humbly submitted to honor those who do not deserve honor. He endured injustice on behalf of those who committed injustice against him so that we might be reconciled to God. If Christ was not willing to bear injustice brought against him for the sake of us who surely didn't deserve it, we would yet be unsaved. But when he is arrested to be crucified and Peter draws his sword, he's ready to rebel. He's ready to use violence and strength. Jesus tells him, no, we have hope because he endured the cross. We are called children of God because he gives honor to those who do not deserve honor. And if we are truly following him, we will do the same. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. When we endure suffering and injustice with the goal of seeing transformation in the lives of those who oppress us, we are carrying our cross. We are following in his footsteps. When the abolition of slavery did eventually come about. It, it was headed by Christians in a time and circumstance that those Christians, Christian men had a, a voice to speak into culture because of the, the prevalence of Christianity and the transformative work that had been taking place in the hearts of men. Many Christians today are still thinking like Peter in the garden. We want to follow in the footsteps of the early American revolutionaries and our discomfort and injustice and put change upon culture by force. But similarly, we are concerned for justice issues that the world at large does not see as injustice issues. In many places, Christians are known and hated more for our political ideologies and morality than for the gospel message we proclaim. And this is exactly what Paul warned slaves not to do, giving the unbelievers cause to revile God and our faith. These are, are good and worthwhile things that we fight for. Christian morality is good. I do believe Christians have a place in politics. But while we want revolution, God is working through transformation, changing hearts and lives 
through the faithful work of making disciples, this is going to have the greatest, most long-lasting effect on our culture. And at the end of the day, we just have to choose what hill we're going to die on. Do we choose to die on the hill of conservative legislation or do we die on Golgotha? Having carried our cross in the footsteps of Jesus, suffering injustice for the sake of those who oppress us, to see them brought to a saving knowledge of Jesus, to declare that God is great and worthy of all glory. This is how God has shown time and again that he brings pagan kings to glorify his name, that he changes cultures and nations to live in accordance with his law. Well, I'd love to hear from you, your comments, questions, or snide remarks. Why don't you leave a comment on the YouTube video, or you can send me a message on Instagram at sinnersufferers. You can find all our links on sinnersandsufferers.com. I look forward to hearing from you, and I'll see you later.